All right, how many of you like to hear this? Pay attention. Zero, none, nada, right? How many of you have heard it most of your life? Sure you have. <laughs> I don't know when your earliest memories begin. You know, some of you may hear and remember, well, I was three months old, I remember. Or, you know, for me it was like 12 when life began. But, <clears throat> but you remember people telling you to pay attention. Well, in Hebrews chapter 2 tonight, we are told to pay attention and it's by God, so it's got to be kind of important. Hebrews could be, uh, and some, some Bibles actually title it, the letter to the Hebrews, letter to the Jewish people. has a strong Jewish flavor as God, through whoever wrote this book, was, uh, was speaking to Jewish people about their faith and understanding uh, the proper theology, understanding who Jesus Christ is, was, and always will be, and He's certainly speaking to you and me about that tonight. It's an interesting subject. I think it is. Uh, here's what he begins by telling us. Keep paying attention to what God says about salvation. Now, that sounds strange. Because once you get salvation, you always got it. I mean, isn't that what Baptists believe? <laughs> But I believe what this passage is going to tell us is some profound things that we need to keep paying attention to what God says about salvation. In verse 1, we must pay, we must, in other words, an absolute from God here, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. It's almost like... 2,000 years ago, God threw up a, a flashing warning sign to these people. And, you know, when you're driving, you don't always like to see a lot of flashing warning signs. One, it probably means your journey's going to be impeded, but, but it's there for your benefit, isn't it? I mean, it really is to bridge out is there for your benefit. It's not there just to slow you down. Uh, you know, wet roads, icy roads, that, those signs are there for your benefit. What is God saying? Let's look at some phrases. He says, we must pay more careful attention. An interesting phrase. And what he's saying here, it's, it's really, it's pretty profound. He's saying, we need to be much more aware. We need to be exceedingly more aware to what we're fixing to talk about. We must apply ourselves thoroughly to what we're fixing to talk about. Now, can you imagine 2,000 years ago, he's talking to these people, and he's telling them, hey, guys, you need to be a lot more aware. You need to be a lot more careful with what we're fixing to discuss. And he's saying that to you and me tonight. And I'm convinced, and I hope I can convince you before the service is over, that the American church desperately needs to hear this message this evening. You know, I, I heard a story of a pastor who'd preached a sermon, and afterwards one of his men came up to him and said, Preacher, you did a good job today. You kept me awake for 20 minutes. You kept me awake for 20 minutes. You know, we joke about our ability to listen or to pay attention or to not pay attention, and most of the time preachers laugh at that because we think it's a joke. We hope it's a joke. But there really is something to say about focusing just for a little while on what God has to say to us. Pay much more careful attention. Look at this last phrase. So that we do not drift away. 
Do not drift away. Literally what this means is to flow by something because of carelessness. By carelessness to slip away from something. He's saying, guys, I want you... I want you to pay a whole lot more attention to our subject matter so that you don't carelessly flow by this and drift away. What's he talking about in verse 2 through 4? For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great Salvation, you got, got that? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, here's the subject matter tonight. It's salvation. Now, some of you are going, oh, I thought that was for Sunday morning. I'm a Christian. Isn't it interesting, if you, just, if you started in Matthew 1 and you went verse by verse through Revelation 22, you would preach a lot of just salvation messages, by the way. You ever notice that? Kind of like the Bible's interested in the subject, even though a lot of Christians and churches aren't for some odd reason. The word salvation, you know what it means? Okay, you're saying, yeah, I know what it means. It means to be born again. It means to become a Christian. Let me give you a little more profound definition. It's, it's eternal deliverance. You ever thought about that? See, we are so, almost so comfortable with the idea of being saved, born again, becoming a Christian, getting baptized, that we forget that when a person is truly saved, they have been eternally delivered from destruction. Yes, it's born again, which is profound. Yes, it's saved, which is profound. But it's eternal deliverance. Now, I want to tell you tonight, if you're not a Christian, and and the odds are in a room this big, this many people, somebody here is not a Christian. Is this message for you? Certainly. But 2,000 years ago, to the Jewish people, Jewish Christians who were hearing this, and to you and me, it is primarily and first and foremost to believers. Did you get that? Now, that's very important because it's easy to say, well, he's talking about salvation. Well, I'm not talking about it in the way you normally would think about it tonight. But I want you to get a hold of 2,000 years ago when the, when the ones this was originally intended for, it was not lost people. It was for Christians. In other words, this is a, this is a message that's dealing with the doctrine or the theology of salvation and how it's so vital we keep a firm grip on this subject. And again, I hope I can convince you of that before the night's over. Let's walk through what he says about salvation. Here's the first thing he says. Salvation was proclaimed by Christ. Look in verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation was a first announced by the Lord. Okay, when we talk about salvation, when we talk about coming into a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, the death, the, the resurrection, you know who God used to bring this message to us? Jesus Christ, the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. By his words and by his life, it was Jesus Christ who first proclaimed the message of salvation. Does that give it a little bit of preeminence in our lives, our theology in our church? Should it? 
We don't have it on the screens, but you can write this down. In Acts chapter 7, verse 53, Acts 7, 53, and this was mentioned earlier in in Acts chapter 1, but it tells us that God gave the law to Moses and the people in the Old Testament through angels, okay? Which that's cool, that's great. It was still given by God, it's still the Word of God, but God delivered it by angels. Listen, when God brought the message of salvation here, He didn't use a messenger, He used His Son, okay? Salvation was proclaimed, first of all, by Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're told that it was confirmed and proclaimed by eyewitnesses. This is very important. In verse 3, the salvation was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. Now, guys, when you hold your Bible in your hand, and tonight we'll focus on Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the way through Revelation, the New Testament, you have one of the most intellectually, scholarly documented books there is out there. That's important. Do I accept it by faith? Absolutely. Does it help me to know that there are thousands of copies of the New Testament that date back very close to Jesus' day that say the same thing? Absolutely. You want to get in an intellectual debate? The Bible is very sound intellectually, okay? And what he's saying here is this death and this resurrection... Jesus brought it himself, but then the ones who said it happened weren't third and fourth hand experiences. They were eyewitnesses. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is stories of people who saw it. How many of you does that matter? If I called you this week and told you some fantastic story and you said, man, were you there? No, I wasn't, but Josh was. That'd really scare you, wouldn't it? Or if I said, no, I wasn't, but my grandfather, he saw it, 1914. Okay, whatever. But if I said, man, I saw it, then you've either got to say, I'm a liar, or I saw something crazy. But then if three other people come along who saw the same thing, and you kind of trust one of us at least, huh, begins to make sense, doesn't it? Folks, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't... It wasn't created 200 years later. This stuff was being laid out while people were still alive who knew that it happened. You hear all this stuff about the extra gospels, the gospels of Judas and all this. Folks, those those books were written 150, 200 years after Jesus. Those books are the gospel of baloney. The gospels in the Bible, and in fact, every book in the Bible was written... But in the time when there were people who were still alive that could say, no, that did not happen. I was there. Or there was people who could say, it did happen. And I know that it happened. You know, there's crazy people that don't believe that 9-11 happened or that the, uh, you know, that the concentration camps didn't happen. You know, but there's still people that can stand up and say, I was there, friend. It happened. The gospel was confirmed by eyewitnesses, not just by people 2,000 years later. Here's the third thing he says about it. It it was confirmed by miracles. Have you ever thought about this? One of the purposes of miracles were not only acts of mercy and love, but they were to confirm who Jesus was and the message of salvation. 
Look in verse 4. God also testified to this salvation by signs, wonders, and various miracles. Now, folks, here's some interesting theology. God uses here three different words for our one concept of miracle. But these words are found through the New Testament. First thing he says is signs. Okay? A sign was a... uh, Every miracle, in a sense, was a sign with an ethical end. It was to... A sign to show you that Jesus is God, okay? Uh, Lazarus coming out of the tomb. If you, if you were there, would you agree that's a sign that there's something supernatural about this dude? Absolutely. It was a sign. And then it uses the word wonder. And this is literally the wow factor of a miracle. If, if, if tonight all of us were in here and we were hungry and somebody brought me a Big Mac and a small fry... And I was able to multiply this, that that everybody got two Big Macs and two large fries. You'd be really cool with me, wouldn't you? But you'd be going, wow. 4,000 and 5,000, Jesus did that. A miracle, a wow factor. People going, wow, can you believe what just happened? And then he uses the word miracle, which is the word for all these. That's the word of inherent power, of being able. You know, when when Jesus walked on water, or what we saw this morning, when he looked at the storm and said, stop it, cool it, and it happened, you got to go, my goodness, that was a miracle, don't you? And folks, miracles and signs and wonders happen for several reasons because God loved people and God was merciful and he wanted to heal them and he wanted to help them. But miracles and signs and wonders also confirm that Jesus is the Son of God and ultimately that this salvation we're talking about is real. He says it was confirmed by miracles. And here's the last thing he says about the confirmation of it. He says it's confirmed and and proclaimed by Christians. The end of verse 4, he says, And also God testifies it by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, what does he mean here? He, he was saying to these people who were probably one generation removed from Jesus. Now, one gen, there's several different generations in this room tonight. So that means you know, they're still within a 30, 40-year period of Jesus' death and resurrection. But there's a generation, you know, the generation gap, we would say. And he would say, look, some of, you, some of you may not have been alive or you weren't around. And you didn't see Jesus do the miracles. You didn't even hear, you haven't maybe heard a, an apostle proclaim something. But, you know, you look in a local church like this church here today. And you see spiritual gifts used. You see the name of Christ proclaimed. Folks, did you know one of the purposes of spiritual gift is evangelism? It always bothers me when someone says, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Listen, if you can sing, if if you have the gift of mercy, if you can serve, if you can teach, you can use all that to point people to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's not the only purpose of spiritual gifts, but it's one of the purposes of spiritual gifts. It's that what we use, what we take, not only to encourage and help other Christians, but to help lost people come to Christ. He's trying to build a case to tell them, guys, you're losing your grip on the fundamental thing of the faith. And you don't need to do that. And one way you can hold on to it is go, look, man, even in the church 2,000 years later, Jesus' salvation is being proclaimed. It's an affirmation of this death resurrection, and Jesus is the only way. Okay? Now, here's the last thing he says. And, boy, this is tough. It's so important. He's saying don't 
ignore this salvation. You see, this whole subject here, actually, I had a longer sermon tonight, but I realized the old theory that two 20-minute sermons is always better than one 40-minute sermon. Amen? Say it louder, it'll be 40 next week. Okay. The primary, the primary theme of these verses here, which make up a section of Scripture, is salvation. Don't ignore this salvation. Look again in verse 1. We must pay careful attention. We must pay exceedingly more attention than we are right now. I'm sure that's true in this room. So that we don't drift away. This picture of drifting away, again, it's the picture, it's the picture of someone letting their ring slip off their finger because they're being careless with it. It's the picture of someone being in a boat and they're, they're nowadays we can say texting or, or they're, they're goofing around with a motor or they're looking for more ducks. This is last day of duck season. So they're looking at the last moment and they miss the port. They miss the, the, the harbor. And that can be dangerous, can't it? You know, my wedding ring is not super expensive, but I really don't want it to go down the, the sewer because I'm careless. I'm in a boat. I, don't, I really don't want to drift past the port for a lot of reasons. You remember last January near Italy, the coast of Concordia, a beautiful cruise ship. I think we have a picture. Can you see that? That is a huge, beautiful ship, isn't it? Okay, <clears throat> look at how it looks right there. The captain decided as they were going out to sea, he was going to go near uh, where they were in western Italy and, and to salute the people on this, in this area. People don't know if he was flirting with a girlfriend, he was trying to be groovy cooly, or whatever he was trying to do. But let's show what happened, Brian. Y- y'all remember that? It was last January. That the ship, the ship got too close. It drifted away from where it should have been. It hit rocks. It capsized. 32 people died. Uh, you know, a ship like that, has got to be billions of dollars of damage. By, it's billions of, by the time they get that thing turned up and whatever they decide to do with it, because the captain apparently was a little careless with his boat and his prey. Verse 2 and 3. If the message spoken by angels was binding... And every violation and disobedience of the Old Testament received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Okay, let me give you two thoughts. First, to the non-Christian. You're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You're a Christian. This is to your family member and friends. Salvation is by Jesus Christ alone. It's what the Bible says. There's no second option or third option. There's no, we'll die, we'll stand before God, we'll get another chance. We'll spend 10 years in hell and then we'll really be sorry, which we will be. And then we'll get to go to heaven. The Bible says salvation is in Jesus Christ is alone And you've got an opportunity to make that decision while you're here on this earth. And if you ignore this salvation, 
you do it to your eternal peril. You get that? Wow. In other words, what he says is don't you be careless. Don't you drift past Jesus Christ and you miss him. And then you spend eternity regretting the fact that you ignored eternal deliverance. Okay, the second part is to us Christians. And here's what he's saying to you and me tonight. Don't you drift away from your theological center. Now, guys, I believe this with all my heart. I don't believe it just because I'm Baptist. I believe it from studying the Bible that once you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes in you. He seals you. He marks you. He guarantees you. And that when you leave this earth, you're going to heaven. You're not going to lose your salvation. But here's what was happening 2,000 years ago. A lot of these, these Jewish Christians were still worshiping in the synagogues. They apparently were, were debating with these Jewish people. They were getting confused. Some of them were beginning to back away on their understanding of salvation. They were backing away of their loving dogmatism about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said to them, don't you drift away from your theological center. Don't you drift away from the truth. Guys, I want to tell you, we argue about a lot of things as Christians. Here's the two things that are most paramount. The Bible's the Word of God. And you, you, you can't compromise on that. The Bible's the Word of God. Here's the second thing. We can, we can disagree on the second coming. All, the only thing the Bible says about that for sure is Jesus is literally, physically, and visibly coming back. And friend, Tim LaHaye nor I know exactly how or when that's going to happen. He just made a whole lot more money off the subject than I have. But I can't compromise with you that the Bible's the Word of God. And I cannot compromise with you what the Bible says about salvation. That's what he's saying here. Can't compromise. See, what was happening then, what's happening today in Ruston, what's happening throughout denominations and churches worldwide, is we're drifting away from our theological center. When you drift away from the Bible, when you drift away on salvation, you are headed to, to the rocks, friend. Be right on everything else. You're wrong on those issues. You're headed to the rocks. What's happening in this room, what's happening across our world, is we get busy. We don't pray like we should. We don't read our Bibles like we should. Now, I'm not fussing at y'all. You're the wrong group. If you're watching on the internet and you could be here, you need to be in church. But you're in church, aren't they? Amen. Wave at the camera, folks. See, it, it happens slowly. And what happens is when you, when, you, when you cease to pray as you should, when you cease to read your Bible as you should, when you cease to be in church like you should, you begin to compromise your theological center. You begin to compromise your walk with God. And you lose your grip on sound theology. You, are you following me? So that's the whole thing he's saying here. You keep a tight grip. You keep a tight grip on the right beliefs. You know, in, in politics today, 
what once was called liberal are now called progressive. I don't have a problem with that in politics. I have a problem with it in theology. In theology, if you're not going to say Jesus is the only way and you're not going to say the Bible is not the Word of God, don't call yourself a progressive. Progressive is a good word. That's not progressive. That's degressive. That's not moving forward. That's moving backwards. And that was his fear here. And that's what's happening, folks. That, that's what it, it, that, that we've got to guard. And these young people sitting here, what, what you've got to guard them against because the world's attacking them so hard. And you're going to have to fight for this. And that's what he's saying. You pay careful and close attention. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus did die literally. Jesus did arise literally. Salvation is in him alone. And he says, don't lose your grip on that. That's what's, that was what was happening then. That's what's happening now. How do you keep your grip? You keep your fire hot with Jesus Christ. Say it over and over and over again, but it's the truth. You, you, you keep your knees bent in prayer. You keep your Bible open. You keep your pew warm. And you hold on to the truths of God firmly. And you hold on to them thoroughly. Don't you ever back away from the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. The Son of God who came to earth. A hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. Who died on that cross, not figuratively, but literally. Who walked out of that tomb, not symbolically, but physically. Who literally ascended to heaven and someday is going to literally descend and return to earth. Who is not one way among many, but the only way to God and to salvation. Don't you back away from that for a second. Because the Bible tells us it was proclaimed by Christ himself. It was verified by eyewitness. It was solidified by miracles. And people even today are proclaiming the truth of that message because they have been changed by it. Don't lose your grip on those truths. This evening, if you're not a Christian, don't ignore it. Don't delay it. Give your life to Christ tonight. You come in a moment. We'll be waiting here for you. Give your life to Christ tonight. You want to join our church? I think I've laid out a pretty good idea who we are. If I've scared you off, I didn't mean to do that, but that's who we are. Christian, how's your grip on the truth? You slide away incrementally, folks. You become too cool for school, too intellectual. Christian, you retighten that grip tonight and you never loosen it up this side of heaven. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to do business with God. Let's stand. And as the Lord speaks to you, you respond to him tonight.